the beginning of good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the river Jordan. John wore clothes made of camel hair um, with a leather belt round his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness for forty days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. Let's pray. Lord, we, uh, we each come today to church together, and we are... Well, we recognize we bring with us everything that's going on in our life. Uh, We don't come here necessarily to escape everything, but we come here with those things. Situations we're in, the the things that have happened to us this week, the things that we have, places we've been, the people we've been with, things we've heard and said. So Lord, as we are kind of living our lives even now, we want to ask that you would draw near to us by your spirit and in your word, that you would work in our lives. Lord, that you would even write your story into our lives. And where things need to change, and we need to change, Lord, would you be changing us by your spirit? Where where we need new hope and new joy, please would you give us that. Where we need new, new or deeper faith, more confidence in you. We ask for that. Lord, we pray that you would be at work by the power of your Spirit through your word today. Amen. Don't know if um, life ever feels to you like uh, the idea of Groundhog Day. You know, idea. There's, there's an old film that kind of picks up that theme, doesn't it? And the idea of kind of life being on repeat and going over the same things again and again and you don't quite seem to escape whatever the situation or whatever you're stuck in in the same patterns I mean we, we can feel like that in all sorts of ways maybe for you it's the relentless routines of looking after a baby and every day feels like Groundhog Day because it's just the same again and again and again or maybe work life for you just feels like that monotonous and, and not changing and, and boring or, or maybe relationships for you seem to always take the same course and it just feels like Groundhog Day. These things are just going the same way. I've seen this before. I know how it goes. Or more seriously, perhaps, maybe 
You're in a time where you're stuck in a pattern of sin and repeated sin. that just repeats over and over. You think, how can I escape this? Maybe it's addiction that keeps a grip on you and you can't break free. Or, or you, you keep responding to situations in the same way and however hard you try, you're not able to and the panic attacks come again and you can't escape them and you can't stop them. Things just seem to go the same way. Well, and and, and you think, well, however hard I try to kind of rewrite the story, to change the script, to do things to to, to break out of this cycle, it just seems to go the same way. And I guess if you have an experience of that, and I think we probably often do as people at different times of life, we can maybe long for something or someone to come along and change the story for us. Someone to come and write it differently, how things go for us in life. Or maybe you're in a place where you're just like, that's wishful thinking, isn't it? This story stayed the same for so long. It's years now, I know this doesn't change. Well, listen, that, that's uh, a familiar storyline, that type of storyline uh, in life. And we see that as, as we look at it in Mark's Gospel. I'd really love you to keep it open. And the first thing I want us to see is that for the Jews, uh, the people of Israel, this is a national story, a national storyline. Last week, we saw in Mark's introduction to his story of Jesus that it is the great news of a new beginning. That's what Mark starts with, the beginning of the good news. But as with most good stories, this isn't a beginning that just drops out of nowhere. It's a beginning that kind of has a backstory to it. And the backstory is what explains and makes sense of what's happening in, in what Mark's giving us, of what's happening now. It's a bit, I don't know if any of you have started watching, I've watched kind of the first um, couple of episodes of uh, Jack Ryan, this new kind of Amazon Prime um, kind of thriller, I guess, with this, um, this CIA agent, uh, CIA agent uh, Jack Ryan, kind of fighting the terrorists, and it's kind of one of those sorts of, one of those sorts of series. But what's really interesting is over the first couple of episodes, the way you kind of get into the story is that you get lots of flashbacks and memories and those kinds of things. And um, you'll get to understand the backstory. And particularly, you're getting um, that from the terrorists. You're understanding the kind of terrorist story of when they were bombed when they were kids and, and, and the injuries they've got and these kinds of things through all of these, uh, these kind of flashbacks and memories. And sometimes it's just by subtle allusions or places or, 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 or just the way things work. As, as you watch it, you kind of, you know, you build up that picture. You've seen that sort of show before, I'm, I'm sure. Well, that's exactly what Mark's doing. He's using that kind of technique here. He's giving us the backstory and trying to bring us up to speed. Um, originally, he wrote it for these readers in Rome who might not be that familiar with this backstory. He's given us some of the Jewish context into which this good news of a new beginning comes. And this big story of the Jewish people that we need to uh, need to see, we need to remember, we need to kind of log in our heads, is the Exodus, where they were born as a nation. That's what Mark's tapping into. In the Exodus, thousands of years before, the people of Israel came out of Egypt, where they'd been in slavery, and they passed safely through the waters of judgment. They went through the Red Sea, remember, is kind of that, that amazing story of God parting the Red Sea, the people walking through. And then they went out into what is known as the wilderness, into kind of the Middle Eastern desert for 40 years. 
As God's son, we read, they're called God's son, his people. Learning what it means to be his people. Their faithfulness being tested, and we, if you know the story, you know they fail over and over. Now that's how they started. That's like their national starting point. The thing is, that story kind of repeats itself through their history. It kind of defines them. It's like the storyline of their, of their history. The references to it are stamped all over their culture, in their writing, in, in, in their national holidays and festivals, and the traditions they have. Loads of them are linked into this big storyline. And the central themes of it are repeated over and over. God, in his kindness and his grace, rescues his people. He protects his people. He watches over them. He calls them his, his son, like a father cares for a child. And they, time and time again, forget God. Time and time again, they're drawn away from God. Time and time again, they have hard hearts. And it creates these relationship problems. They're like rebellious children going far away from God. It's just that loop over and over and over through their history. And Mark connects us right into this backstory with this quote here in verses 2 to 3. Here he kind of blends together a few promises from the Old Testament scriptures. Uh, And these promises are about God in the context of that kind of relationship, coming to his people to restore them and to change their situation. And and, and the central promise that Mark picks up here as he quotes is from Isaiah 700 years before, where God promised uh, himself to leave Israel and go to his people in Babylon where they were in exile. Uh, And he promises to come and comfort and rescue them. Johnny read that from uh, uh, the beginning for us. Comfort, comfort my people. I'm coming to you. I'm your God. And, and so Mark kind of introduces us into this backstory of this message of hope. That God himself is coming on a rescue mission. So it's a national story. But not only that, also it's a personal story. This quote here also promises this messenger who's going to come, who's going to prepare the way for God's arrival. It's as if this messenger is like the warm-up act that's kind of getting people ready. You know, when you, you go to a comedy show, you have a warm-up act who gets you ready for the, for the main, uh, for, for the comedian. Well, here, so we have a warm-up act. It's John the Baptist. And as we, we're kind of introduced to him, we quite strangely find out about his you know, sense of fashion and his diet. He's kind of this wild and crazy preacher. He's got strange clothes and, and strange foods. And I think if you had to kind of visualize him, it would be, um, be a bit like this. It's kind of Leo DiCaprio and Revenant, just this kind of wild and crazy guy out in the wilds of nowhere. But again, this is deeply significant. The backstory explains what's going on. John is wearing the outfit of the old preachers of Israel. The prophets who came to God's people when things were particularly bad, in particularly dark times, and called them to come back to God. And particularly Elijah is kind of the one that the Jews expected to come before the Messiah to prepare the way. Mark's kind of connecting the dots for us. This is the one. And so John, this warmer pact, has kind of got this ministry out in the, in the wilderness, out in the desert, and people are just flooding to him. They're coming from the capital of Jerusalem, from Judea that that surrounds it, the kind of religious heartlands of Israel, these kind of really religious people. And for these people, this national story has become a personal story. Here they are going out through the wilderness, 
going out to these waters, to this Jordan River, through the waters of judgment in baptism, kind of committing themselves to God as his people. And in this baptism, what they're doing is it's this kind of spiritual washing. It's this kind of, these baptismal rites. It was this new spiritual experience that was kind of going around that was quite in vogue. I mean, I guess today you've got kind of the, the huga, the kind of Danish mindfulness stuff, or, or yoga or something. This kind of spiritual stuff that everyone's drawn to. Well, back then it was John the Baptist's baptism. And what people are doing when they go to John to get baptized, they're saying, listen, I'm recognizing that I'm unclean. I need a spiritual shower. Because they're confessing their sins and they're repenting. They're saying, stuff in my life is not as it should be. Very humbling thing to say. Very surprising for these Jews, these kind of religious, special people of God, to be going to John, confessing their sins, repenting, and being baptized. You know, it's worth noting that we need to recognize our needy states. Do you recognize your needy state before God? The moral uncleanness of your life. That is the starting point for anyone who comes to Jesus. It's very humbling. It's absolutely necessary for us to be ready to receive him. That's what John is doing for these people. He's preparing them to receive Jesus. And this is the message that he has in verse 7. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Basically, the whole ministry of John is just like this kind of signpost to Jesus. He said to people, listen, turn away from your old way of doing things and get ready for God to come. I'm pointing you to him. He's coming and he's coming soon. And God himself is going to come to you in this new and this lasting way. It's not just like when you come to be baptized by me, you're going to kind of get drenched in water for a moment and and that will pass. But no, he's going to drench your life in the Holy Spirit. Your whole life is going to be full of the person of God. This is where real change is coming. And even as John preaches this message, pointing to the one who is coming, he knows, he is humble, he knows he is not in the same league. He says, listen, I can't even stoop down to to kind of take his sandals off. Sounds strange to us, but back then that was just the worst job for the lowliest of the lowliest of servant. Only the non-Jewish servants would get given that job. You wouldn't wish it on your enemies. John says, listen, he is so great, I'm not worthy to even do that. See, John shows us that the kind of humble attitude that we need to start out the Christian life with is the one that we need to continue the Christian life with. I mean, it's quite remarkable. John is Jesus' older cousin. So he's older in age. He's more established. He's got a successful and a flourishing ministry. People are flocking to him. Some, they think in the thousands, hundreds of thousands. He has all of this influence. He makes his way into the history books. And yet, he knows his place and he knows his role. He says, listen, I'm nothing more than a warm-up act. The main act is coming. The main act is coming. Humbly and self-forgetfully, John points to Jesus. He points to his greatness, to his power, to his worth and his value, his beauty, his perfection. John knows. John knows I'm nothing. Jesus is everything. 
So the question for us is, will we continue to humble ourselves before Jesus? Will we be like John the Baptist? And, uh, and it's necessary because here's the third thing we need to see. Jesus enters into and rewrites this story. Jesus enters into and rewrites this story. See, because we see here, as Mark describes it, that Jesus too comes out and through the waters of baptism that represent God's judgment. And then after that, we read that Jesus goes out into the wilderness as the Son of God, where he is tested for 40 days. The plot line repeats itself, doesn't it? And so Mark is saying, look, here is the new exodus. God's people have lived this storyline before, and they failed over and over and over again. But this time, God's son lives this storyline, and something is different. A new script, if you like, is being written. A new path is being carved. As as, as we dig into this, we get real privilege because as readers, we get like a behind-the-scenes look at the events that are going on. So we get these little insights that Mark gives us that people who would have seen what was going on just didn't get. And and again, think think back to Jack Ryan. We kind of have this in a lot of films and box sets. This happens quite a lot, where as the viewer, you know things that are going on that the main part people in the film don't know is going on, don't you? It's what makes it interesting. So in Jack Ryan, you know all this stuff about the terrorists. And the whole point of the the program is that the CIA are trying to work out what you already know. Because all people see then is they see this guy from Nazareth come down and join the queue of people getting baptized. And he gets baptized by John, and then he kind of heads off into the wilderness all on his bill, kind of like, I don't know, slightly strange. And you're just kind of like, what was that about? And you know, that's all that's all that people see. That's all they get. But Mark shows us here. The unseen spiritualities, he's like peeling the layer back for us. And those are the things that help us make sense of what is happening. You see, as Jesus comes and he gets baptized by John, this isn't Jesus saying, I too am unclean. Like everyone else, I need, I need a spiritual wash and I need a new start. And, and that's what I'm coming to say here. No, because as Jesus gets baptized, we read that heaven is torn open. Think of like a kid on, you know, on, on birthday, just kind of tearing open the, the wrapping paper to see the present. Heaven is literally torn open. And the Holy Spirit comes and rests upon Jesus. Kind of, we're told it's kind of like a dove showing his approval of Jesus. And Jesus hears the booming voice of delight that rings out, this is my son. I love him. I'm well pleased with him. You know, before Jesus has done anything, done any ministry, done anything to impress anyone or or whatever else, he already has Father God's approval. He already has the affection of the Father. He is already one with the Spirit. This is the perfect Son of God. If you like, in his baptism, this is kind of all heaven breaking loose, the three-in-one God kind of delighting in one another, on the move, coming to people in a new and a lasting way. So Jesus isn't queuing up to get baptized, saying, I'm morally and spiritually unclean like everyone else. No, this, the unseen realities that Mark shows us, that can't be the case. No, Jesus is in the baptism queue 
Because he is placing himself alongside the guilty. He is placing himself with the sinners, with those who know shame, with the morally unclean, the morally suspect. He is associating himself with those who know they are in a mess. And if we're honest, and if we're humble, humble enough, then you and I know that's me and that's you. You see, Jesus goes into the Jordan River morally clean, morally perfect, morally spotless. But if you, if, if you like, this water is now kind of morally dirty because all these people have kind of had their, their sins and their wrongdoing washed off into the river. And so Jesus goes down perfect into that dirty moral water. And he, he kind of gets dirty. He gets dirty, morally dirty in that filth as he goes under the water, down into our death. And yet when he comes up and walks out, he still comes out to the approval and the delight of his Father God and the Holy Spirit. See, Mark, right at the start of the story, is pointing us to the end of the story where he records Jesus' cross and his resurrection. That's where Jesus' true baptism happens, where he really goes down into the dirt of sin and death, where he really uh, gets marked with it. And doesn't just like stand alongside us in, in our mess and in our sin and in our shame. But no, he takes it off us and takes it for us. That's what happens at the end of the story. And of course, that's followed by him rising again, showing his perfection, showing his uh, moral cleanness. You see, look, this is the thing. Jesus does not stay far off from you and the mess of your life. He does not stay away from you. All of your false stars, all your repeated mistakes, all of the things that just aren't changing. No, Jesus comes to you. He enters into your story. But he doesn't just enter into your story. He comes to rewrite your story for you as well. You see, in Jesus, uh, we see this when he goes into the wilderness uh, to experience temptation after his baptism. And it's there, there in verse 12. Kind of with urgency, the Spirit leads him straight away out uh, into the wilderness to have this showdown with Satan. And, and if you like, if the baptism was all heaven breaking loose on the Son of God, here you have all hell breaking loose on the Son of God. He's in this hostile, this oppressive context that represents disorder and chaos and life without God and, and, and oppression. And Satan is there tempting Jesus to do life his way and not God's way. Trying to trip him up and lead him astray. It's the kind of temptation that you and I face every day in hundreds of different situations. But you see, unlike us, Jesus doesn't give in. He resists. He stands firm. He lives perfectly. We read that he relies on the power of the Holy Spirit. He, he relies on the kind of support of angels. Again, we're seeing these unseen but very real realities. And so as a result of this, there's this much happier outcome in this story. You've got the child of God filled by his spirit, with God's loving delight over him in his life, no relational distance, no problem. Same old story, but this time with Jesus, it's different. Now, I guess the question 
is. What about your story? What about you? How does this relate to you? Well, listen, this is the good news of Mark. This is the good news of Mark. God's new beginning is that Jesus offers to share that rewritten story with us. He offers that story to you as yours. That's what Mark's got good such news about. This is the offer to you. If you pass through the wilderness of suffering, if you pass through the wilderness of temptation in life, well, listen, you know that Jesus has already been there. He has already experienced that. If it feels to you like your life is stuck on repeat, like it's just the same old story, you just can't break this pattern, can't escape these patterns of sin and addiction or whatever else, well, listen, Jesus is powerful to overcome that. He is powerful to overcome it. And the question for us, I think the big question for us, I want you to ask yourself, your heart and mind, is will you let Jesus, will you give him the pen or the keyboard? Will you let him author your story? Will you let him write your story his way? Let him write his plot line over your life. And when we do that, and if we do that, then these new things start to emerge where previously it was Groundhog Day. These new plot lines start to happen that are beautiful and wonderful. Maybe where you've been crippled by anxiety and depression in situation after situation. Maybe particularly what people think of you and how successful you're being in your kind of life and career or whatever else. Well, through Jesus' baptism of his Holy Spirit, you know you're adopted as a son or a daughter of God. You know that you've got God's delight and his love and his pleasure over you. You know you're accepted. And so you can kind of be freed little by little from the anxiety that so cripples your life and so affects your life in different ways. You can have peace and assurance where before you were just a worrying wreck. Or or perhaps where you're tempted by the same sin over and over again and caught in that that pattern. Well, you can see the power of the Holy Spirit with which Jesus resisted temptation to the end. And and he says this, I'm going to baptize your life with that Holy Spirit. I'm going to drench your whole life with the power and the work of this person of God, the Holy Spirit. And so you can find that you have new spiritual power. New self-control. You can start to say no. You can start to put things in place in your life that enable you to break those patterns. You can have brothers and sisters who come alongside you and help you to do that. I mean, those are just two ideas of how the plot lines in our lives can start to change by the work of Jesus and the Spirit that we see from here. There's probably, there could be loads of others, and I guess in community groups this week will be the task to dig into what the things that you're thinking about now. But listen, I just want to kind of conclude by, by thinking about how this works. How does this work? Next, uh, next week, as, as we go on through Mark, we'll see that, that Jesus invites people next to come and follow him. That's his invitation to people, and we'll explore that next week. But what we need to realize when we talk about following Jesus, or, or putting faith in him, or responding to him, What we're not saying is that we're just kind of like copycats of Jesus. Like he's just showed us a way to live and we can just kind of completely replicate that and and, and do that in the same way. 
No, what we're saying when we talk about following Jesus, when he invites us to follow him in Mark, is he's saying, listen, I'm blazing a new trail. I'm writing a new story. There's a new script here that's unfolding between people and God's. And I invite you to come and follow that, but you can only come and follow it because I've written it for you. He's blazed a new path open for us. There's a, a pastor in Switzerland, um, Edward Schweizer, who, who illustrates it quite helpfully. And I've got, I've got a picture that um, kind of hopefully helps. He, he says, imagine there's heavy snowfall in kind of this Swiss Alp mountain village. And, and it's so heavy that a young boy is stranded in the home of a friend. It's, it's not safe and, and he can't travel home. And he can't do it by himself. But not until his father comes to him. His father with his strong arms and his, his broad shoulders and his sure grip. His father who is able to break his way through the three foot of snow from, the, from, from his friend's house back to his own home. And so the boy can follow his father through the heavy snow. You see, the father there isn't just like a teacher or an example, showing the boy the way to kind of break through the snow, but kind of leaving him to break his own way by his own strength. It's also not that there's nothing required of the boy. He can just kind of sit there and suddenly he'll be back at home. No, he must follow his father. And yet he can only follow his father because his father breaks a new path in which the boy can walk. Kind of breaks open the snow and the boy can just kind of walk through tagging behind his father. Listen, it's exactly like that with Jesus. That's what it means to follow Jesus. This is what gives us hope. This is what is good news. It's not just that God came to rescue us. He sent Jesus coming to us. Somehow kind of did something to rescue us, but left us to kind of get on with it and work out the path our own way or or, or whatever, or copy him or, or whatever else. No, in perfect power, Jesus has blasted open this new way through life, through death, this new story for our lives. And so there is encouragement for us and there is power for us to keep going. Be encouraged. You can change. Your life can change. You can go on being changed. You can follow him. Now, yes, you might still walk through the same testing situations and circumstances, I'm not saying this means our whole life is just suddenly like perfectly all together. But as you walk through those following Jesus' way, there'll be very different outcomes. There'll be very different things going on in your heart and in your character. There'll be very different things that God is doing. And it's only by the power of his Holy Spirit, maybe even with the unseen help of angels from time to time, that we can follow this way. It's only because of the grace that he came down all the way to us, stooped down to us in baptism, in his death, came into our death, got morally unclean and filthy, and died for us. It's only because he's done that, and he's now kind of blasted a path the other way, that we can even have a hope to follow him. But he's done it. And if you're here, he's set your life on a new path. The invitation from Mark is to see what he's done, to marvel and be amazed, and to follow him by faith. Let's pray.
Lord, we thank you that Jesus is not just an example to us. Not just someone who reminds us of how far we are from what you call us to be and how wrong we get it and how messed up we are. But he is one who comes to us, comes near to us. He's one who has lived a perfect life. And by the power of your spirit, whom he gives to us, he now changes us and helps us and enables us and empowers us to live also perfected lives, following his way in his path. Lord, I'm just sure there's people here today who are just tired and and worn out and frustrated and feel like they can't change. Lord, please, would you, by, by the work of your spirit today, be freeing them, be releasing them, be encouraging them, be giving them new power and strength. Lord, would you write your story in and through our lives? And Lord, would we by faith let you do that? Would we give you the pen and delight to, uh, to follow where you lead us? Pray this for our good, for your glory, for the salvation of many others around, we pray. Amen.